Hello, and welcome to Truth For Today with Terry Fant. And yes, I'm your host, Terry Fant. In a world full of confusion that leads to chaos, the answer for clarity is the absolute truth of God's Word. It has stood the test of time. I hope you'll listen to this message with an open heart and that God would speak to you one-on-one through it. If you're ever in the Florence, Mississippi area, then we would love for you to join us for live worship. Please feel free to reach out to me at terryfant at icloud.com. May the Lord bless you as he draws, shapes, and instructs you. Now, let's listen to today's message. My goodness, you guys worship good, amen? You praise good tonight. If you have your Bible, I'm going to encourage you to join me in Psalm number 27, all right? Psalm 27. Are you glad to be here? Are you glad to have the Word of God in your hand? Now, just hang on. Those lights are going to come on any second now, and you'll be able to see, all right? Psalm number 27. That's what I'm talking about. Don't you thank God for our media team? I'm serious. They do a lot back there, and a lot goes on. Yeah, give the Lord a little hand clap of praise for them uh, as they're serving the Lord tonight. I think they were a little shorthanded tonight in the uh, production room, the ones that are responsible for getting the message out, you know, on, uh, and is, isn't it good that we're able to preach out here in the middle of nowhere and the message can go all over the world? I'm, I'm telling you, we, we said a long time ago, oh, internet's evil and, and uh, social media is evil, but if I could tell you the names of the countless folk that have been saved around the world because God has allowed you guys to share what's going on in here and the message being preached, I'm telling you. So really, uh, uh, tonight I said they were shorthanded. Maybe God would have you to serve in that capacity. Uh, Gerald said, hey, I know you're going to not see me over here because I'm going to be serving <laughs> in the production room. So he went to go fill in that spot. But you pray about how God might use you in one of the different areas of ministry. A lot of places to serve around here. Did y'all know that? A lot of places to serve around here. All right, here we go. Psalm number 27. How many of you are afraid of the dark? Come on now. Be honest with me. All right, one more time. Here's the question. How many of you are afraid of the dark? Any of you afraid of the dark? All right. Uh, there's some honesty. Y'all are like, okay, okay, I'm going to raise my hand. <laughs> Uh, This week, I'm reminded of some funny times over our life and my family, of those in my family who are afraid of the dark. And and so uh, this week, Tina was uh, behind the house. She was doing a little hunting and uh, gotten off work early and was back there hunting. She said, you know, it's getting dark. And I said, yeah, it's getting dark. And she said, "Uh," I said, you want me to come get you? She said, it's going to be real dark back here. I said, you want me to come get you? And she said, no, 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 I'll be fine. No, no, I'll be fine. Don't worry about that. And so let's get a little time passes. And she said, you know, it's really, really dark back here. <laughs> and I said, I said, yeah, yeah, you want me to come get you? No, I'll be, I'll be okay, okay. Third time, she said, you know, it's, it's getting really, really dark back here. I said, yeah, but you got your flashlight. I said, you want me to come get you? She said, yeah, if you, if you, if you want to, that'll be all right. <laughs> and so uh, I took a walk back there to meet her. And uh, I, I'm, I'm so... Uh, it amazes me, you know, how we all are different. We all have different things that we're afraid of. You know, we really do. All of us have something that we're afraid of. And, and, and so I, I think about I've got two daughters that are really, really afraid of the dark. And so my daughter, my oldest daughter, and they, they love for me to use them as sermon illustrations, by the way. But my oldest girl, uh, Madison, I'm telling you what, you better not turn the light off on her somewhere unless you want to have her on you like a backpack. You, 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 you track it with me? Uh, she said, I, I saw her telling her mama the other night, she said, Mom, you're going to have to go with me to my car. Now, we're talking about at our house, you know. And Tina said, well, I thought you parked right by the concrete. Right by, she said, no, there was something in the way I had to, I was, I'm about 20 or 30 feet from the concrete. So you got to walk with me to my car. And she did. Tina escorted her out to her car in the dark. She told me, I remember Maddie used to say, Dad, she lived in this trailer. You know how trailers have those diamond-shaped windows, you know, in the door? And she said, Dad, you know, sometimes when it's dark, when I get ready to go by that door, she said, I, I hunker down right before I get to it. And she said, I run past it real quick. Uh, in case somebody out there in the dark is out there, you know, and, and it's funny thing, isn't it, about the dark, you know, some of us may not be afraid of the dark, but would you agree with me that none of us would want to live in the pitch black dark 24 hours a day, seven days a week? I wouldn't, and I don't think anybody else in here would. And so tonight, we're going to talk about the light that dispels fear, okay? Now, it may not be, you said, oh, wait a minute, this message is not for me because I'm not afraid of the dark. I didn't say, I didn't say that it dispels darkness. It does do that. But the light, this is particular light dispels fear, okay? It dispels fear. Now, what I want to do is encourage you, if you would, to stand to your feet tonight in honor of reading God's Word. And what I'm going to do tonight is read Psalm number 27 in its entirety. Aren't you glad? Amen. Here we go. Beginning in verse number one, I'm going to read all the way down through verse number 14. But here's the Here's the news that's going to shock you. We're going, to, uh, we're going to cover one verse tonight, so we'll probably be out early, you know. Y'all know one verse is short, right? I mean, it's one little verse, and so we'll see what happens. Okay, beginning in verse number one. And I'm glad y'all are smiling with me tonight. Y'all in a good mood. I'm glad. Num- verse number one, Psalm 27. It's a Psalm of David. 
And the psalmist begins this way, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me. By the way, does it ever feel like an army is encamped against you? My heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I'll be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that I will seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord. Why does he want to stay in the Lord's house? To behold the beauty of God, not just because he'd have a room and a mansion and a big bedroom and a crown to walk around heaven, but that he might behold the beauty of God. Boy, that ought to be the heartbeat of uh, our lives. All right, let me move on. Verse number five, and for in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle he shall hide me. He shall set my, me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies all around me. Therefore I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. Y'all read these three words with me. I will sing. Yes. Uh oh we're going to quote it again. Ready? All together. I will sing. Some of y'all need to know that those who have been rescued by God, their new song is a song that says, I will sing. Now, let me say something to the men in the house. I'm just reading, okay? I'm not, this, I'm not preaching right now. I'm just reading, okay? Um, but when the psalmist says, because God has rescued me, I will sing. If you've been rescued, you should sing. No, nothing added to that, nothing taken away. Not sing good, but you ought to sing, right, to the Lord. Okay. I'm moving on. Praises to the Lord. You say, why'd you pick the men out? Because we're so tough sometimes that we teach our people, we, our family's looking at us, our wives looking at us, our children looking at us, and here's this way we sit as the pre high priest of our home. We lead worship like this. <laughs> so don't let mama be the one who's the lead praiser in your family. You're the leader. Okay, here we go. Verse 7. That's a men's message, by the way. We'll get back to that some other time. Verse 7, hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, seek my face... My heart said to you, your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in the smooth path because of my enemies. You know, it's hard to run from an enemy if the path's all crooked and jagged and unlevel. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me. Anybody ever tell lies about you? Uh, and such as breathe out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord where? In the land of the living. We don't have to, so you're telling me we don't have to wait till we die to see the goodness of God. Wait on the Lord. Last verse. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. Let's pause for a brief word of prayer. Would you bow your head with me? And by the way, what a good-looking group. Wednesday night out in the middle of nowhere. When I first came in, I, I told Ryan, I said, Ryan, it's kind of thin out there, you know. And, uh, and by the first song, I look up and the place is almost full. Thank you for pressing on up here, out in the middle of nowhere, after a long day of work. Thank you for doing that. Uh, I pray God will reward you greatly for it, okay? Let's bow our heads together in prayer. God, thank you for the effort and the energy of those that are in this room who said, I could stay at home. It'd be easier for me just to watch online. But they came on. Some of them in their work clothes. God, I, I thank you that you put in us a desire to be around your people. So continue to stir that in us. Now, Lord, would you help me to preach? God, you know all of my weaknesses and inadequacies, my easily distracted mind. And so tonight again, uh, those that know me and are getting to know me, uh, as they know me, they realize I'm less than ordinary. And so, Father, I pray tonight that by the preaching of your word, they would declare in their mind and heart that, God, you can take a nobody and do anything you want to do, anywhere you want to do it, anyhow you see fit to do it. So again tonight, Use the gift of preaching and the gift of your spirit to give us what we need. Feed our hungry souls. Now, Lord, as I ask you to preach through me, preach to me. Uh, I need to be fed tonight. I need, Lord, to be encouraged and challenged and called up. And so, Lord, would you tune our ears to your voice? Lord, would you bind any distraction from our life? Would you help us to be in our seat if we can be, unless there's some type of emergency that we'd not be a distraction to anybody else? Now, lean us on the front edge of our comfortable seat. And may we hang on every word as a, as a child, a son or a daughter, listening to the words of life from our Father. We pray it now in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen and amen. Thank you. You may be seated. All right. What we're going to do is rewind back to the beginning. That be okay with y'all? 
Yes, all right, here we go. Psalm 27, verse number one. The title of the message is, The Light That Dispels Fear. Oh, thank you for reminding me of that, Mr. Terry. Hey, how many of you did not get a copy of our printed prayer list? If you didn't, raise your hand up, and they'll make sure they get one to you, all right? We've got a few over here, a few, uh, one right here, one down here. Anybody up towards the front need one? We need one right over here to my right. Might hold your hand a little bit so they can come find you guys. And so uh, that'll help you. Uh, Y'all still liking the outlines on Wednesday night? You're not getting tired of that? I said today they're probably getting tired of that. And so, no, all right, good. So I said, no, we like just filling in the blank. And so um, I'm thankful that God's able to do that. I'm thankful for all the ones in the office that help with that, and Ms. Jerry and all that she does, that we get this outline in our hands. And so tonight, let's walk through it together. That'd be okay. Here we go. Beginning back in verse number one. Remember, the title of the message is, The Light That Dispels Fear. One thing about uh, Madison, if you can turn some light on, she's fine. Um, but if you get her in the darkness, buddy, she's, I'm telling you right now, she's, let's the word, unsettled, if you will, okay? And so tonight, I want us to look at uh, the main idea of this, well, really the whole thing, but, but I'm going to specifically focus on one verse, and that would be verse number one, okay? And so here's the main idea of that particular verse, but also it's the same thought that's in the whole text, okay? And that is this, those who trust in God have nothing to fear. That's what I'm talking about. We got a little music going on up in the house. Uh, those that fear, uh, you're rocking with it. Those who trust in God, come on, help me, y'all. Have nothing to fear. Have nothing to fear. Now, before we unpack verse number one, I want to ask you, what are you afraid of? What are you afraid of? I like some of y'all looking at me like I ain't afraid of nothing. Okay, well, uh, I would say here's something I'm afraid of. Uh, I'm afraid of having a stroke and being trapped in my body not being able to speak. I've seen that. I've seen that look of terror in somebody's eyes before, and I've never forgotten it. I'm a little afraid of that. Now, you tough guys, I know some of y'all aren't afraid of that, but I'm afraid of that, right? I just want to think about it. Okay. Uh, how, how many, how many, tell me something you're afraid of. Somebody help me out here. Somebody says snakes. That's my people right there, so I'm in Bubba. Uh, I ain't going to take a picture of one either, Bubba. I ain't going to do it. And so uh, snakes, I'm, I'm, I'm afraid of snakes. What, what else? Somebody else? Heights? I don't like heights either. Uh, anybody in the house afraid of spiders? Oh, man. Look at the hands raised up in here. Here's something that and Tina loved for me to share this, that she's afraid of. She's afraid of lizards. So I said, me too. <laughs> Any of y'all afraid of lizards? I mean, she'll clear the house out, buddy. It, it, that thing's got to go. There it goes or she's gone, one or the other. And so it's funny, though, isn't it? Like when you name something that somebody else is afraid of, you just kind of laugh. Ha, ha, ha. Until you hit the thing that you're afraid of. You're like, boy, all the laughing goes away. And like, yeah, me too. And the truth of the matter is there's something to all of so, so How many of you are afraid of financial ruin? Huh? That, that something would happen and you would have no financial, nothing, no money, nothing to pay your light bill with, right? And, uh, and there's a lot of things in this life that wait around every corner that, that really would be easy for us, if we're honest, to, to cause us to be afraid of. And I believe that we're living in a day and time when, when society as a whole is, a, is, a, is afraid of a lot, right? So, some, some things even imaginary that they're afraid of, things that, things that hadn't happened yet that might happen, and they're full of fear about those kind of things. And so how can we find tonight a way in which we can live that we don't have to have fear about anything? Uh, now, here's another one. Some of us are not afraid of any physical thing, but how about the fear of rejection? How many of you by show of hands would say the reason you probably don't share the gospel maybe as much as you should is because you're afraid of people rejecting you and saying no. You know, there's been times in my life that that's been the case. So tonight, as we think about different kinds of fear, let's focus on instead the light that dispels those fears. You say the fear of rejection? Yes. The fear of the dark? Yes. The fear of financial ruin? Yes. The fear of hell? I'm afraid, by the way, when I think about hell, it makes me a little... If you've ever studied hell in the Scripture, you realize Jesus talked more about it than he did about heaven. It'll, I'm telling you what it'll do. It'll grip your heart in terror. And Paul said this, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. The terror of the Lord. A place of utter darkness, complete fire, <laughs> weeping and gnashing of teeth. You can't see your hand in front of your face, but your soul is on fire. I don't know about you guys, but that evokes a little bit of a fearful feeling in my heart. But there's something, there's a light that can dispel all that fear. All of that fear. All right, let's dive into it. Psalm 27, verse number 1. Here's what the psalmist said, the Lord. Now, now the subject matter of verse 1 is the Lord. The Lord is, and what does he say? And by the way, uh, guys, if you were here uh, on Tuesday morning, we had 80-something guys on, on Tuesday morning. And, uh, man, I just praise God for that. 545 little dudes with us. We had four- and five-year-old little boys in the, uh, down at South Campus at 545 in the morning. Are you kidding me? 
And uh, Daddy's setting the tone for their little boys. I'm so glad for them to see a culture of men who love God, tough guys that love God, you know. And so we think about this, the Lord is my light. So if you were here, you've got a little prelude to this, but the Lord is my light. Now, there's three things that the psalmist says that God is for him, and that because God is these three things for him, it produces a rhetorical question. Uh, he asks it twice. So if I was to ask you tonight, and what I'm doing right now is just kind of teaching you how to study the Bible, what I would ask you is, in verse number one, what are the three things that the psalmist said God is to him? All right, look at it. Take a second, look at it. Write it over in your notes somewhere. Three things that God says he is in verse number one. God says that the Lord is his light. That's number one. Uh, the Lord is his light. Uh, what else does he say? Second thing, he says the Lord is my salvation. All right? And uh, so he says, the Lord is my light, the Lord is my salvation. And then there's a third thing in verse 1 that he says the Lord is. The Lord is the strength of my life. So there are three very important things that you and I need to see tonight, just in verse number 1, that God is, okay, for those who trust him, okay, those who trust him. He is their light, he is their salvation, and he is their, and I'm going to say our because I'm in that group, our strength, okay? Now, let's dive into that and unpackage it. You see, you got, you say, man, we got all these notes for one verse? Answer is yes. And uh, I love that a verse can be so pregnant with truth, right? And this was kind of like Taylor. You know, Taylor's pregnant with twins. And this verse is like pregnant with quadruplets. You, you with me? And so here we go. Let's look and see what it has to say. Roman number one, here it is. He is, in verse number one, he is light for the darkness. Now, notice I said the darkness. It didn't just say our darkness, Okay. Uh, notice I, I, I said the darkness because it's all encompassing. There's a lot of different kinds of darkness, all right? And uh, the greatest kind of darkness, the most, the most ter uh, horrible kind of darkness is not when the, when the kilowatt light is turned out, but it is the darkness that is void of the light of God. It is the darkness that is wicked and vile and, 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 and for that self and for the uh, benefit of self only, even at the detriment of others. It's the heart that we're born with. By the way, you do realize that we're born with a dark heart. A heart that's self-centered and self-focused. Even to, listen to this, you know a child will ruin the good thing, uh, trying to get the good thing, and nobody gets to have the good thing because they want the good thing. Y'all know what I'm talking about? I saw a kid not too long ago, there was a banana. The other child had a banana. This one had an orange. This child wanted the orange. The other child asked for a banana. Mama gave one the banana, gave one the orange. The one that got the orange decided when the one got the banana, he wanted the banana. And he's trying to get the banana. And the one with the banana is trying to get away, right? Just get away. I'm trying to eat my banana. I don't want your orange. I just want my banana. And the one with the banana is walking away. The one that wanted the orange is now wanting the banana. And he's trying to get the banana so much that finally he squishes and crushes the banana. Nobody got to eat the banana. Now, some of y'all thinking, where was the mama at? Where was the daddy? That's not the point. The point of the matter is we're born with a heart that is so wicked that it'll crush the thing that we think we are good just so that nobody else can have. Just, we just want to get it. We don't, we don't consider any, any of the consequences. We just want what we want, and that's what we're born into. So look at verse number one. The Lord is my, help me, light. He is light for the darkness. Now, you have some verses there in your notes. Look at there. You don't have to turn. You don't even have to look up on the screen. It's right there in your hand. I hope that you'll take your pen and you'll circle some words. You may highlight some words. This is what 1 John 1.5 says. This is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you, okay, that God is light. Maybe you'd underline that on your little outline. God is light. Sometimes we say God is love, and that's the only thing we say. Matter of fact, I've heard someone say, you know, the only way God chose to identify himself is love. No, that's incorrect. This particular verse, 1 John chapter 1, verse 5, God also has chosen to identify himself as light. So God is love, yes, but it's also right to say that God is light. All right, now let's read the rest of the verse. That God is light, and in him, listen, is, y'all help me, no darkness, no darkness. And in case you didn't get the totality of no darkness, he adds a couple of words for wait, no darkness at all. Now let me tell you why that's so important to me and you. What if, what if God could be bribed? What if somebody could turn God's heart and mind away from loving mankind and having a desire to forgive him, her, uh, than to punish them? What, what if they could turn his heart away from wanting what is best for us and leading us in the way everlasting, uh, pointing us in a direction that he can bless our lives with things we can't buy at the liquor store or on the street corner or in Walmart, right? What, what, what if somebody could turn him to say, listen, I can offer you something if you'll do him wrong. I'll tell you what, we'd be sunk. If God could 
turn away from being complete light, uh, then you and I would have nothing to hope in that is uh, unchangeable. I'm so thankful tonight that in Him there is no darkness at all. That everything that God does, thinks, says, and puts into play is always right and pure and holy and right and light. Are you with me? And that's what John is saying about him, okay? Now, put your eyes on the next verse, and we're going to talk about the kind of way that God dispels that light into us, okay? Now, uh, um, this is not in your outline, but you can write it somewhere. One of the ways that he dispels his light in us is that he literally, he literally changes us from darkness to light. Does that make sense? Colossians chapter 1, he moves us from one neighborhood to the other, right? We're no longer in the darkness. We're no longer part of the darkness. We become light. So one, he changes the essence of who we are. We are no longer darkness. We are now light. In him, we are light. And the scripture says we ought then to walk as children of light, okay? And so he changes the essence of who we are by giving us his spirit, by transforming who we are. Um, but one of the ways he does that, and one way I want to focus on tonight is by his word, okay? By his word. Now, let me show you this. Psalm 119 and verse number 105. Your eyes there on your little outline. Uh, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. A lamp, both of these things give light. A lamp gives light and a light gives light, okay? Now, let me just kind of explain these for just a minute. And if you've ever heard me talk through a, a passage that deals with this or walk through Psalm 119, you've heard me explain this before. Number one, he showed this light, this lamp to my feet shows me, all right, here's your blank, shows me where I really am. Because without the light of God's Word, I can think I'm somewhere that I'm really not. I can think I'm mature. I can think I'm humble. Uh, funny thing, I saw a hat out in, the, out in the parking lot the other day, and the hat on it in big, big bold letters, it said humble. And I said, about the time you tattoo humble on your shirt and your hat, you just disqualified yourself from being called humble, right? So <laughs> sometimes we can think we're somewhere that we're really not, but here's the good news about His Word. His Word will, in fact, show us where we really are, where we really are. And I want to say something to you about you that you probably already know, but maybe you don't, but I'm going to love you enough to say it anyway, and it's the true about me as well. We are beautiful liars. And the people that we, the person that we lie to the most is not our mom, our daddy, or our spouse, or our children, but the person that we lie to the most, the most frequently is ourselves. We will lie to ourselves. I'm telling you, me and you're so good at it. We'll do something and be fully convinced that it was okay that we did it, even though we may know that God says it's not right. And so in Him, there's no shadow of turning. There's no darkness at all. And His Word will show me like a lamp to my feet. Now, I've told you this story before, but I want to tell it again because I know we got a bunch of guests in the room, and some of y'all hadn't heard it, and I'm going to tell it because it's just wonderful illustration of a lamp to my feet. A number of years ago, I am at a dear friend of mine's house, and we're in Terry, Mississippi. We're about 15 years old. We're camping out and catfishing all night. Can you think of anything better? And uh, we're just having a blast. we got a tent out there, and we're having fun, and we're all standing out there, but we're so smart because, it, you know, 12, 13, 14, you're really smart. You know everything. We didn't have any flashlights, you know, and so we're just out there in the jet black dark. We're talking and having a good time, laughing, you know, and all of a sudden we began to smell something, and the smell's pretty strong. You know, one of them says, man, I smell, I smell something, and somebody says, yeah, I smell something too. I smell poop, you know, and, and, so, and, and so, yeah, what, I mean, it smells awful, and we're, we're I mean, it's so much our eyes are watering, you with me, and we're young boys, and so we're like, man, and so we're just kind of talking, and, and finally one of our friends shows up. His mom drops him off. We see your headlights pull up. We see his flashlight cut on. He was the one among us that was prepared all the time. You know that guy? Uh, thank God for those guys and gals, right? You have somebody in the room who's prepared. So he gets out with his flashlight. He comes across there, Bebop, you see the flashlight shining all over the place? And all of a sudden, he comes up, and he's like, man, what is that smell? First thing he says, what is that smell? And we're all like, oh, no, man, we've been gagging. And so he starts shining the flashlight on each one of us. Shines it on me, you know, and I'm like, what? He's like, I'm just looking to find out what is that smell. He shines it on the next buddy, you know, I'm not going to name their names. And so he shines it on the next one, another. And finally, he shines it on one of our friends who will remain nameless, who has been for the longest time thinking he was standing in a field like the rest of us, but was in fact standing right on top of a cow patty. That kind that had crusted over, and he had broken through the crust of it. You know, when you, you don't realize when you stand, you kind of do this sometimes, you know? It was on the side of his pants, you know, here down. I mean, it was on his feet, it was on his shoes. But because we didn't have a lamp to our feet, we didn't, he didn't know where he was standing. He thought in his head he was like us. He was in a safe place. He was in a poop-free zone, he thought, right? But in fact, he was not. It was the light that exposed where he really was. Now listen to me. 
Sometimes you and I think we're right, such as, here's an example, in our anger, in our unforgiveness, we say, boy, they've done this thing to me, and I'm hurt, and I'm angry, and you know, I didn't have a daddy growing up, or my mom and daddy fought and drank all the time, and, and so we think we're right to let that be a justified reason to live how we want to live and do what we want to do. And I'm not saying it didn't hurt, but I'm telling you that we sometimes, and we say, I'm in the right place, and I'm right for thinking this way, and I'm right for being bitter, and I'm right for being ugly, and I'm right for this, and I'm right for that, and I'm right for, and then all of a sudden, I don't know about you guys, but what I found is when I'm in those places, and it never fails, when I pick up with my reading in the next morning, when I get up and go to that table, I spend a little time there, it never fails, the Holy Spirit of God uses the Word of God to put the mirror in my face and say, uh, 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 not so fast. You're not right for feeling that way. You're supposed to forgive those that, that do wrong to you. You're supposed to bless those that persecute you. Uh, think about, Terry, think about, sometimes I'll be reading, and I'll think it'll be talking about the crucifixion of Jesus and what he did for me, and he did it because of my sin, and then I just, the Holy Spirit just takes the word and says, now see where you're standing? You're standing in unforgiveness, and you're a person who's been forgiven of so much. And so the light shines on where I'm standing. I'm standing in a place a whole lot more stinky than a cow patty. I'm standing in a place of unforgiveness. Or I'm standing in a place of, y'all rocking with me? So, so the Word of God is a lamp to my feet. It'll show me. God, God gives me light. God gives me some of His light daily through His Word. Isn't that good news? Why should I start my day in the Word? Why should, because it is that which will transform your life was talking with a dear friend the other day, and here's what this friend said. This friend said, you know, I, I like to start my day in the Word of God. And, and this friend was talking about starting in the Word of God. He said, but, but today I had a lot of things to do. And he, the person said, I was a little bit sad because I was going to miss my time with the Lord. And, he, and the person said, you know, it really struck me as amazing that I didn't even consider about, you know, just waking up a little earlier. And so I want you to understand tonight how critical it is for me and you to make sure that we start the day shining the light of God's Word on where we really are. It will help us. It'll transform us. It'll point us in the right direction. It'll nourish our soul. It'll feed us. It'll point us. It'll help us. It'll encourage us. And it'll, it'll also, listen, it'll also, you know, the Word talks about itself being a hammer. It'll also break us. Sometimes it'll break my heart. It'll show me how I feel about something and how wrong I am to feel that way. The Word will do that, but it's good for me, right? It helps me to realize that I'm really standing in a very stinky spot, and I thought everything was all right. But God's Word has a way of doing that. So we said, Roman number one, He has light for the darkness. Number one, shows me where, y'all help me, I really am. It's a lamp to my feet. Number two, it's a light. This is just based on Psalm 119, 105, and we're talking about Psalm 27, 1. He is light for the darkness. It shows me where I really am. Number two, His Word is a light that lights up where I should be going. His light, the light of His Word lights up where I, y'all help me, where I should be going. Um, that is oftentimes why uh, many of us neglect to spend time in the Word because it will de definitely, definitively say, here's the way. And we don't really like to be told, here's the way. We like to just think about it, mull it over, and decide our own way. But the Word of God will say, here's the way. Here's the way. Go this way. This is the way of blessing. This is the way of peace and contentment. And we say, okay, great, that's wonderful. I want to go that way. All right, let's read, if you will. Psalm 119, 105, he says, Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You ever try to go somewhere without any light? You know what I mean? Just like walking somewhere? Here, let me ask it this way. Have you ever dislocated your pinky toe when you tried to go somewhere in the dark? Some of y'all are like, oh, don't bring that up. Boy, I'm just, Curtis got to squiggling around in his chair thinking about dislocating that pinky toe. Have you ever done that? You ever gone through somewhere dark and, and, and you kicked your toe? Maybe, maybe you didn't just look at it, but boy, it felt like you did, didn't it? And it, it's, it's amazing how that little pinky toe is connected to your soul. Your soul hurts when you kick that thing. But it's because you didn't have a light to see the obstacle that was in the way. And because we thought we could navigate, listen, we thought we could navigate life without the light of His Word, there have been things that I have done in my life because I didn't know any better. You with me? that were way more painful and had greater consequences than, than kicking my toe on the corner of the cabinet. And it's because I didn't shine the light of God's Word up ahead to say, okay, now I'm spending time this morning and tomorrow morning, the next morning to say, all right, Terry, uh, I'm teaching you things that maybe are not going to be today, um, but as you're learning these things, I'm showing you this is the path I want you to go on. If you'll go on this path, I'm going to be there with you, and I'm going to bless your life, and I'm going to give you the things that you look for and you, your soul desires. And I'm not talking about necessarily more money and bigger things, but I'm going to be with you, and you're going to have everything you need, and you're going to be so satisfied. And by the way, isn't that something that we're all looking for anyway? To be satisfied, to be content, 
with, with who it is that we have and who it is that we are. All right, so lights, the, the light of his word lights up where I should be going. It lights up my path. Now, uh, again, I want to just say sometimes we like to try to discount it and discredit it, and that's why the world attacks it so much because the world says we ought to get to determine what path we want to go on, on our own. But God says, I'm creator. I made you your creature, and I want to show you because you're not smart enough. Come on, y'all. Infinitely wise, we are not. And he says, because I am, I'm going to show you the way. And isn't it interesting, our nature, that we would say to God by our actions, no thanks. No thanks. I'll go Sunday, and, and Terry can give me a little bit, but I'm not going to go daily. I'm not going to seek daily how you want me to live my life. I'm not going to do that. Uh, I had a guy tell me one time, I don't do that because that's religion. I said, no. <laughs> Who told you that was religion? It's called obedience. I don't like that word. Well, you need to understand that the Scripture teaches that obedience to the New Testament is expressed, excuse me, love in the New Testament, man toward God, is expressed in obedience. Okay, Lord, that's the way you want me to go? Well, because I trust you, because you've proven your love for me on the cross, I'm going that way. I don't understand it. It doesn't necessarily feel good. Any amens in the house? It don't always feel good to let people mistreat you and not, not get them back, you know. But I'm going to do it, God. I'm going to trust this is the way you want me to go, and I'm going to do it at all costs. Uh, we said the light of God. He is light for the darkness. He shows me where I really am, and He lights up where I should be going. I pray that you'd find light to find out where you are, and you'd find light from His Word to find out where you should be going. Number two, He is salvation. He is salvation. How many of you ever heard this phrase before, Jesus saves? If you've ever heard somebody say that or seen it on a T-shirt or a bumper sticker, raise your hand. You've heard that phrase, G two words, Jesus saves, all right? Most everybody in the house, Okay. Now, if I was a, a lost person, never heard that before, didn't, never heard of Jesus, and you say, well, no, who would do that? I'll tell you, there are people in this community, there are people in this county, there are people in this, in this state that all the time I have come in, I'll share the gospel, and I say, I've never heard that before. And so don't think it's somewhere in some remote country to some tribe that's never spoken English, but there are people in your neighborhood, most likely, people in your family that have never heard the true gospel. The good news that God became man, came down to earth to experience what we're like, to show us what he's like, to pay the price on the cross for our sin, to rise from the dead, and to save us from our sin. Now, if I was to ask you tonight, I'd never heard of that before, and I came down into your house, and uh, maybe I was uh, uh, next to you at the gas pumps, and I said to you, I said to you, I said, uh, Greg, can you tell me Jesus saves, what does that mean like this? He saved me from, I had a man ask me this time, does that mean he saves me from cancer? He says, does that mean he saves me from cancer? And I said, no, 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 no. We're going to have to sit down and talk because, because it's, a, it's a little longer explanation, isn't it? To say that Jesus saves. If I was to come back there and say to somebody in the back, well, let me see, Mr. is that Terry back there I see in the back? Yeah. If I was to come back there and say, and say Terry, tell me, uh, Jesus saves me from what? You know, what would you say? What would you say? Here's what kids will say because they've heard it so much. Maybe you'd say the same thing. He saves us from our sin. Okay, what does that mean? What does that mean? Like, sin is a drowning, or sin is a location, or what do you mean Jesus saves? I love this right now, because y'all are like, man, oh, I don't really know how to say it. You will before you leave, okay? You'll be thoroughly equipped when you, before you leave to be able to, when somebody asks you, hey, what does it mean Jesus saves? Oh, it means he saves us from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. So look at your outline there real quick. So, somebody's like, oh, man, <laughs> I can figure that out. That's, that's not that complicated. So what does he save us from? Number one, Jesus saves us from? The power of sin. The power of sin. Now, it's good to be able to say that. It's very powerful to say, man, if you look at your friend and say, he saves us from the power of sin, the penalty, say, okay, what does that mean? Go a little deeper, all right? So what is the power of sin? You ready? The power of sin. It's expressed in, I'm going to give you a couple of examples. It's expressed in, okay, it's expressed in uh, a person who is addicted to alcohol who knows if they drink again, they're going to lose their job and lose their family, and they drink anyway. Uh, it's expressed in the one who knows if, is anybody tracking with me? If they lose their temper and are violent again, that they're going to prison, and they lose their, their temper and, and violent again, they go to prison. Uh, is anybody, y'all looking like folk never ever struggle with anything. Anybody know what I'm talking about? When I'm talking about sin, when it gets the upper hand on you, and, and man, all of a sudden you're doing things you never thought you'd do, it's expressed in, I tell you about the Atlanta airport, when the lady's inside the smoke room, and the little daughter's out there, four years old, three years old, screaming her head off, anybody could get her any moment, we get up there to her, we think she's, somebody's harassing her, and she's sitting outside of a glass wall, her mama's on the inside smoking a cigarette with her hand on the window, 
The little five-year-old, four-year-old's got her hand pressed up. She's sobbing. Anybody could get her at any moment. That mama never realized that the power of sin would have her on the other side of a wall putting her baby at, at risk. And we can all come up with all kinds of examples, right, of the power of sin to dominate our tales. Many a man and woman has fallen to this idea, I can manage it. I can manage it. It won't get me. It won't get me. I can deal with it a little bit. I can dabble with it a little bit, and it won't. And, man, many a good life has been ruined and burnt to the ground right in that train of thought. So let's look for just a minute at Romans chapter 6, verses 10 to 14. Are you all track? Now, is everybody kind of on the same page about the power of sin? What Without Jesus, what it does, it dominates our tale, right? It tells us what to do. We don't tell it what to do. All right, let me read a little further. In Romans 6, 10 to 14, read with me. For the death that he died, now he's talking about Jesus. He died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. And he's talking about Jesus. But he says, likewise, you also reckon yourselves to be dead indeed to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, because of that, do not let sin, here it is, reign in your mortal body, that you should obey it in its lusts. And do not present your members as instruments of unrighteousness to sin, but present yourselves to God as being, y'all help me, alive from the dead. Pause right there, and it's in your notes, so you see you're stopping at the comma, okay? So it's, not on, the, it's on the overhead too, but I want you to think about something for a minute. What decision-making capacity does a dead person have? None. Can a dead person decide that their hair's not right and change their hair color? No. Can a dead person uh, decide that their makeup is not like they would have done it, you know, and change the way that their makeup's done? No. A dead person has no uh, power to change anything. So when you, you and I were lost in our sin without Christ, we were dead in our trespasses, meaning we don't even get to choose. We, we're, it's almost like we're a zombie, if you will. Uh, we, we find ourselves dominated by a power that is within us that even sometimes the conscience we're born with not a Holy Spirit conscious, but all mankind is born with a conscience. We have this consciousness as I know deep down that this is not right, but I find myself wanting to do it, and I do it, and I do it, and I do it. You're tracking with me? Because I don't even, I'm not even in the decision-making process. I'm just rocking on. First John 5, 19, he talks about the fact that we know that we're of God, those who have been born again, but the whole world, lost people, are under the control, the, the sway of the wicked one. They're not in there saying, yeah, I think I want to just do this again. And funny thing about me and you is, lost people acting lost, we get ticked off about it. We spend time railing about it. We do Facebook posts about it. I'm telling you, we, get, we make jokes about it. We do all kind of nonsense about it other than the one thing that'll cure it, and that is make disciples. So as this thing unfolds, we're learning that there was an old us that was dominated by sin, but now that we've been born again and the light of God is shining in our hearts, through the Word and through the Spirit, we no longer live a life dominated by sin. Is this making sense to anybody? And so God help us. Let's read a little further along. We stopped at the comma, right? So he says, uh, being alive from the dead. He said, act like you're alive from the dead. Act like you've got power to make a decision in Jesus' name. Act like you no longer are mindlessly controlled by your sin, but that in Jesus you can, in fact, have victory today. You can, all right? So reading on, he says, and your members, consider your members as part of your body, that's your hands, your feet, are instruments instead of righteousness to God. Now, here it is, last verse. For sin, I want you to, well, it is bold in your notes there, isn't it? For sin shall not have, y'all help me, dominion over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. So Jesus saves us from the power of of sin. A person comes to faith in Jesus and believes the Son of God died for them and rose again, and they invite Him to come and be Lord, <clears throat> and He comes to take residence by this Holy Spirit, and He takes the Word of God, and He nurtures, He grows us, He puts somebody in our life to disciple us, help us along the way. He puts us in a church that helps us, encourage us, cheers us on, gives us opportunities to serve and to grow, and we keep going, and all of a sudden, those old vices, those old sins that used to kick our tail, no longer have dominion over us. By the way, some of you are scratching your head and you're looking at your life and you're wondering, now, wait a minute, if this is true, if this is true, if that's true, if this is true, how in heaven's name am I still dominated by the sin that I'm dominated by? And the question myself would be to use this, has there been a time in your life that you truly were born again, you gave Jesus Christ control of your life? And, and you say, well, well, maybe not. Apparently not. No, no, listen, it may be that you did do that, but you never grew in your faith. 
You understand the Christian life is not all at once, all together, boom, I'm, I never sin again and I'm, I'm, I'm free. No, no, it means that now I have the capacity with the Spirit living in me, I have the resources with the Word of God and the church around me that I can now move forward and no longer be dominated by sin. Well, that's good news. And that's why we're here and that's what we're studying. And boy, I'm so thankful that what it means is this, I don't have to be the guy I used to be. I don't have to. Let me move on. So we said, under he is salvation, he saved me from the power of sin. I don't have to be that guy anymore. Number two, Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin, right? We said power first and penalty next. Jesus saves us from the penalty of sin. By the way, what is the penalty of sin? Now, let's go back to the beginning. Where do we hear that first? Genesis, yeah, chapter 2 and then in 3, when God said to Adam, Eve wasn't created yet, God says to Adam, do you remember what he told him? <laughs> oh, a lot of murmuring going on. So he said, eat of everything out here. There are trees, there are bushes, there are vines. There are some plants, you'll dig them up and there'll be something underneath there, a potato and a peanut, you kidding me? A carrot, I mean, you dig it up out of the ground and it'll bless your soul. God said, eat all of it, it's yours. I gave it to you. Textures, some of them will be hard, some of them will be a little softer, some will be crunchy, some will be not so crunchy, some will be sweet. I'm telling you, sweet, some will be sour, and there'll be so many textures and tastes. You have it, all of it shares, only this one. Just one out of the billions, just this one. Don't eat of that one. Now, what do we hear him say? Most time when I ask people, what did God say? Don't eat of the tree. <laughs> no, he said, eat of everything, eat of it, enjoy it all, just the one, just the one. And he said, the day that you eat of it, does, you know, does anybody know what God told Adam? You shall surely die. Now, we know that God was, even if we don't know Hebrew and we don't know Greek, we're smart enough to know that God wasn't speaking of a physical death. Now, he was alluding to the fact that they were going to physically die, okay? But that was going to be part of his answer to reverse the curse. Because in Jesus' death and resurrection, if a person is born again, when they die, they enter into a place that was better than Eden. Come on, somebody, without the capacity to sin. Now, think about that for just a minute. God said, the day that you disobey, the day that you choose one thing of all the things I gave you, you'll surely die. And sure enough, they tested the theory. And what we all know now, <laughs> and that Adam and Eve learned then, is that surely after that we were spiritually dead. The word literally means to be separated from God, Right? to have a tremendous distance between us and him. And you know that's the great, the great travel, the great discourse, the great difficulty of mankind. It's why we overeat. It's why we uh, take drugs. It's why we sleep around. It's why we uh, a workaholic. It's why we, is anybody tracking with me? Because we have this desire in us to, to be back at this place where we are right with God and that we are connected to God because we were made by Him, for Him, and even in His likeness, we were made like Him. And nothing else compares to Him. So we, 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 we want to be our boss, so we don't want to acknowledge God. So what we do is we try all this other stuff. We put alcohol in, we put drugs in, we put women in, we put men in, we put work in, we put sports in. We put all this stuff in, and we can put it all in at one time, and it doesn't cover one minute square inch of the void that only God can fill. So we find ourselves living this existence, you know, the penalty of sin. We understand that we were, in fact, born separated from God. So in Romans 6.23, look in your notes there. It says, for the wages of sin is, there it is, death, which is separation from God. Separation from God. Now, the second half of that verse, I'm going to close at the end, but that is the gift of eternal life that we do kind of found in Jesus Christ. And so listen to what Ephesians 2.13 says. You see it there in your notes? Jesus saves us from the power. Someone asked you, where? hey, what? I heard the other day I saw all written on a thing Jesus saves. What does that mean? A man literally asked me not too long ago, does that mean he saves me from cancer? I said, oh, I said, oh no, much bigger than that. He saves you from the power of sin. And I said, you know what the Bible talks about the power of sin? That it dominates us. But it doesn't have to. And then you can tell them it saves you from the penalty of sin, which means, and you explain to them Genesis 2, you tell them, you do. You do what God says do. Go out in the world and make disciples. You tell them, hey, sin separates you from God. And I was born that way and you were born that way. But here's the good news. Jesus saves us from that separation. So let's talk about it, right? Ephesians 2 and verse 13, what does it say? But now, but now, in Christ Jesus, and only in Christ Jesus, 
You who were once far off, now how you, oh, in your notes there, above far off, I want you to write this word with your pen or your pencil. Go ahead and get it ready and write this in your notes right there. Dead, D-E-A-D. What does dead mean? Far off, separated from God. So he says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off, what does that mean? Dead, separated from God, have been, come on somebody, brought near. And you were brought near, how? By the blood of Christ. There's a couple of things I'd like to say in is discussing that particular verse, Ephesians 2 and 13. To be brought near means that we were one time way separated, and now I'm telling you, our soul is not satisfied until we are, in fact, brought near and made right with God. And only Jesus can do that. But I want to tell you something. It feels so good to be near to God. I, I wish, you know, that's really the, the struggle of my life is to put that into words. How good it feels to be close to God, to spend time with Him, talk to Him, you know, listen for Him. It, I'm telling you, some of y'all looking at the carpet. I don't know. You ought to be standing in your chair right now. It feels, I feel like I'm having to try to convince some folk, it feels so good to be close to God. There's nothing like it. There's nothing in the world like it. It feels so good to be close to Him. And at the same time, it is miserable to be far from God. You say, how do you know that, preacher? I've tried it both ways. Tried it both ways. So he says that you can be brought near, and we can be brought near how? By the blood of Christ. Many of you have heard the testimony of Billy Graham when he said he was in seminary, and one of his professors was sort of critiquing his preaching, and he's telling him some things he needed to do. He needed to stand this way and do this. He said to Billy, he said, you know, one of the things you need to do is you need to probably stop talking so much about the blood. People get a little weird when you talk about the blood. And Billy said in response to his professor, it's all we've got. And isn't that true? It's the blood of Christ, all we've got. Without the blood, we're far. With the blood, we're near. It's just that simple. The blood of Christ shed on Calvary's cross, applied to the human heart who's received Jesus as Lord, is no longer far from God and dead in their trespasses, but they are, in fact, near to God. Now, question being, let me just ask a question, if I could, of the crowd, and that is, if Jesus is, in fact, if God is, in fact, salvation, we said first He's light, uh, for the darkness. Second, we said he is salvation. He means he saves us from the power of sin, the penalty of sin. And one of those penalties being, or the penalty being separated from God, but Jesus brings us near. What about, what about when you and I go rogue? We go prodigal. We leave. Do you remember the story of the prodigal, uh, the prodigal son and the older brother, really? It's the prodigal of the loving father. And the one, one son goes far away, right? He leaves the Father. And so I have people say to me sometimes, I walked away from God. I've gone so far from God. And I'm just saying, I've got a long way to get back. And I say, that, let me tell you something. In the New Testament context, you can't go anywhere under the sun where he's not already there. Somebody here just smiled because you thought how you've been living has put you in a far off country. And God is somewhere up on a holy mountain where you can't hardly reach him. And truth of the matter is, if you were truly born again, if you, in fact, gave your life to Jesus, Jesus brought you, come on, near. He brought you near. And now, friend, there's nowhere you can go that God is not. The Word of God says it this way, if I made my bed in Sheol, you are there. So, in fact, the distance that you seem to be there is not really there at all. Now, I know your living may be far from the way God intends for you to live, but if you are, for instance, you know the Word of God says in the New Testament, if you lie down with a prostitute, uh, you are, in fact, Jesus is with you. So Jesus is lying with. So if on your phone you're looking at pornography, Jesus is looking at. Now it changes the game a little bit, doesn't it? There's nowhere you and I can go where he's not already there. Now, let me ask you to think about something. Let's make some more context. Whenever I was growing up, our, my parents would tear your tail up when you messed up. Did anybody have parents like that? Raise your hand if you had mom and dad loved you like that. Hallelujah. They loved you enough, boy, I'm telling you. Aren't you glad they did now? And I, I think about that, and I say, here's the thing. Listen with me. There are things that I would do when my daddy wasn't around that I would not dare do if daddy was in the room. Anybody can relate to that? 
Boy, I would do it and if he wasn't around sometimes, you know. But, boy, if he was in the room, ain't no way I would talk like that or walk like that or do like that. Does anybody understand what I'm saying? There's no way under the sun I'd do it. But if he wasn't around, so now what if we made application here about something? Because something about my daddy, he was only a man, so he was limited. Wherever he was, he was only there. He couldn't be anywhere else but God. Everywhere I go, he's there. So why is it so easy for me and you then to sin if we acted different when our daddy was in the room and we today act different if we, oh man, I don't, did anybody see what I'm putting down? What if you and I began to Proverbs chapter 3 verses 5 and 6, what if we started acknowledging God in all our ways? What does that mean? When I'm tempted to sin, I, I acknowledge that he's in the room. I acknowledge that he's with me. If I'm tempted to overeat, I acknowledge that he's with me. If I'm tempted to lie down with somebody outside of the marriage relationship, I'm reminded he's with me. He's in the bed with me. When I'm tempted to look at something I shouldn't, I'm reminded that he's looking with me. He's inside of me. He's all around me. Wouldn't it be, wouldn't it be beneficial for me and you to acknowledge him in all our ways? Now, you, you, let me just sort of paint the picture on the opposite side. Have you ever ignored anybody? How many in the room have ever ignored somebody? Raise your hand if you've ever ignored somebody. How many of you are really good at ignoring? Raise your hand. You're really good at it. Uh, see that? You're like, I know I'm good at it, boy. <laughs> Try me, <laughs> right? Just cross me and find out. Boy, you be looking at me, I'll be looking right through you. And isn't it interesting that the opposite of acknowledging is ignoring? And for us not to acknowledge God then would be to ignore him. How do you ignore people when you ignore them? Somebody tell me a good way that, all right, we're about to get ugly honest. Somebody tell me a way that you think you're good at ignoring because you, somebody help me. Don't answer. Who said don't answer? Don't answer them. If they talk, don't answer them. All right, what else? Don't look at them. Somebody said don't look at them. Well, somebody a bit more specific. Don't look them in the eyes. You look all around them, but don't look them in the eyes. Change the subject. When they talk about something you want to talk about, talk about something else. Don't respond. What about if you see them on aisle four in Walmart? Go to seven, baby. Go the other way. Quick. Be looking up in the air and looking down like you never saw them. How about this one? Pick your phone up and put it to you like you're on the phone. Okay, some of y'all done that, haven't you? So now, what are some ways we ignore God? Change the subject. Don't talk to him. Don't listen to him. Don't respond to what he has to say. Will you agree with me? I would say the greatest messes I have made, I have made some monumental messes, were because I ignored God. So then, look at this. Isn't it beautiful? Now, now this is not for us to get beat down. This is for us to say, whoa, light bulb moment, huh? Light, light bulb moment. Look how that happened. And light bulb goes off in my head, and I say, oh, so the key is not for me to try harder not to sin, but it's for me to acknowledge my daddy's in the room all the time with me, looking at me, looking out of me, looking into me, and to love him, right? Draw near it and love him more. Not to make me a list of 10 things to stop doing and 10 things to start doing. That is the law. And friend, if you try to live by the law, it'll kill you. It'll kill everything good in your life. So he is, in fact, the one who brings us near. Aren't you glad? Anybody get anything out of that? I, I'm telling you, the Lord has really been teaching me some things uh, this week. All right, finally, number three, we got to hurry. Where are we at? Oh, mercy, we really do have to hurry. Okay, number, number three, and you notice, because if we don't finish it, some of y'all will be just panicking. So here it is, Roman number three. He is strength for our weakness. So the psalmist said so far, this, David said, that he is light. Oh, aren't you glad? And second, he said that he is salvation. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad? But then thirdly, he says, in this, I told you this, 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 this verse was pregnant, didn't I? We we're past time. We've been in one verse. He says that he is the strength of my life. Now, when you write that in your notes, he is the strength. He is strength for our weakness. Let me just sort of interject here and say also, okay, some of the greatest messes I've made in my life, okay, even after being saved, has been when I've tried to do things in my own strength. Because you need to write this somewhere in your notes, all right? You need to write this down. My own strength equals weakness. My own strength. I'm going to conquer this. I'm going to try harder. I'm going to put some, I'm really going to work this thing. I'm going to really make my mind up. I'm going to just really try hard and conquer this thing. 
And boy, what a mess we'll make right there. We'll crash and burn, won't we? Because we're not strong enough. Somebody needs to hear tonight. Look, look, look at me. Somebody just needs to hear tonight for me to say to you, you are not strong enough. Stop trying to be strong enough. Stop trying to find the strength. Stop trying to muster up enough. Because when you fail and you will in your own strength, you're going to look at yourself and you'll throw in the towel. But instead, draw near. Admit your weakness. God, I can't do this. God, I can't. I don't know what to say. I don't know what to do. God, I can't stop doing this. Or, or in the area of discipleship, Matthew 28, 19, and 20, I snuck it in on you. In the area of discipleship, I can't do this. Some of us need to pray, I can't stop doing this with certain things. But some of us in here need to say, God, I can't start making disciples. Please help me. I'm weak. I'm weak. Number three, he is strength to our weakness. Let me give you a couple of verses and we'll close. Isaiah 40 and verse 29. He gives, somebody help me, power to the weak. Aren't you glad? There's a source of power that'll never let you down. Never let you down. And to those who have no might, does that sound like anybody? He increases your strength. 2 Corinthians 12, 8 and 9. You have that in your, did I put that in your outline? Okay, that was a late addition. I'm glad we got that one in there. Uh, look with me, if you will. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord... Three times. This is the Apostle Paul. He's got something going on in his life that he wants to be gone because he's not strong enough to beat it on his own. It's too much for him. And so he asked God to take it. And so here's going to crush the idea that God will not put more in our life that we can stand. Don't buy into the cute little, you know, Gatlinburg uh, t-shirt that says God won't put more on us than we can stand. Or the cute little trinket to hang on your wall that God won't put more on us. Yes, he will. He'll allow things to happen in your life that'll cause you to look up and say, I can't do this. I cannot do this. Now, there is no such thing that's greater than he can accomplish through us and in us. But in our own strength, he will. Concerning this thing, I pleaded. Paul said, I can't do this anymore, God. Three times. He, I, I, I imagine what those prayers must have looked like. Please. I know you can. I've seen you do great things. Please take this from me. And it happens more than one, three times. And, and he said to me, boy, look what God said back to him. God says it very graciously, but here's what he says, no. Do y'all with me? By the way, write this in your notes somewhere. There's no such thing as unanswered prayer. Garth Brooks was wrong. I'd encourage you not to take your theological advice from country singers. There is no such thing as unanswered prayer. God will say yes. God will say not now. And God will, in fact, say no. And he didn't just tell Paul no once, told him no three times. But he summed it up with this when he said it. Listen, he says, you said, where do you see no? My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Think about that. Therefore, most gladly, Paul said, I would rather brag or boast in my infirmities, things I struggle with, my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. You see, when you and I are finally willing to admit that we're weak and we can't do it on our own, the wonderful thing about God is that he honors that. He honors when we get humble and say, God, I can't do this. I'm, I'm, too, I'm not strong enough. I can't defeat it. I can't overcome it. I can't begin. I can't stop. I can't, oh, Lord, I don't know what to say next. Lord, I don't know how to parent. Lord, I don't know how to be married. I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to run a business as a Christian man. I don't know how to, and, and this list goes on and on. And when you're honest with God and you come to him and say, Lord, I don't know what to do or how to do it. I need your help. He takes our weakness and he gives strength to those who have no might. And he says, now that you called on me, I'm going to help you and answer you. Uh, let me just conclude by asking you to bow your head with me for just a moment. Will you do that with heads bowed quickly and eyes closed just for a moment? I want you to think about what you've heard. You've heard a lot, hadn't you, from one verse? You've heard a whole lot tonight. And I know it's a lot to process, and I know it's Wednesday night and you're tired, but you have an outline. And I pray that you'll go back home, and as a married couple, maybe you'd go over it again. Uh, maybe as a parent with your children, you'd talk to it again. Uh, but you wouldn't just let it rest because the time we've had has been too brief. And the truth that we share was way too rich for us to cover it in a little bit of time that we have. So please go tonight before you go to bed and write some things down as God speaks to you and rehearse and go back through and read over, meditate on, and let God, get, let God take you a little further and a little deeper into this wonderful truth, this wonderful truth that there's a light that dispels all fear. Now here's the conclusion. What was the point of him making those statements about God being light, salvation, and strength? He gave a rhetorical question. He asked it twice. Do you remember what it was? Anybody? Whom shall I fear? Of what shall I be afraid? Here's what he's saying. Because the Lord is the light of my life, because the Lord is 
salvation of my life, because the Lord is the strength of my life, I don't have to be afraid of anything. So I'm gonna ch I want to challenge you tonight. I want to call you up tonight. Stop being afraid of what's going to happen next. Stop being afraid of losing your job. Stop being afraid of the diagnosis. Stop being afraid of... And simply let the Lord be your light and your salvation and your strength. Draw near to Him tonight. Maybe you do it right there in your chair. Just draw near to Him right there. Say, Lord, I'm, I need to draw near to you. I need you. I need you. Maybe that's your humble prayer. You muster up as much as you can. Here's a great, great, profound, theologically sound prayer. Here it is. You ready? Muster up all that you can with all the words you can put together and simply cry out to God and say this. Two words. Help me. Help me, God. Now, if you're here and you've never been born again, there is such good news for me to share with you. It's not too late. You've got breath in your body, and the Holy Spirit of God is calling and drawing you tonight. You could be saved. You could surrender your life. You could trust the Son of God accomplished on the cross what we could not for ourselves. He bought us back. He paid the price for our redemption, and He rose from the dead. And tonight, where you're seated or where you're driving down the road or you're at the nurse's station or in the ICU, wherever you find yourself tonight, you could, in fact, trust in Jesus in such a way to say, Lord Jesus, because of who you are and what you've done for me, I want you to come into my life, and I want you to be Lord. I'm, I'm stepping down. Tonight, I'm stepping down. I'm no longer going to be the boss of me. I'm inadequate as my own God. So, Jesus, would you come and be Lord? And he'll save you. He'll come. So, Father, I pray tonight you would take this time of response, and we'd respond however the Spirit leads us. I pray against the enemy who tries to convince us to do anything but obey what God's saying do. Lord, transform our lives tonight. Let us leave out of here with hope instead of fear. We bless your name tonight. Speak to our hearts and cause us to respond in Jesus' name. Would you stand with me?